Welcome to Lutheranism 101 Worship. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us today. So we've been going over what the Bible has to say about worship and even just the idea of what is worship. So just as like a recap, the main idea for what worship is is that it's the divine service. It's God's gifts to his people. Right. So worship is gifts. He gives his gifts to us through the means of word, preaching, and the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, especially. Mm -hmm. And so we respond to those gifts in a worship service with praise and with our own giving back just, you know, a much smaller percentage of our praise and thanksgiving and worship. and And recognizing that everything we give back has been given to us anyway. Right. So we're in chapter one of Lutheranism 101, worship, and it's called God Called His People of Old. It's basically we're going to go through understanding God's gifts in the Old Testament worship, uh, recognizing the presence of God with His people, Israel, and then seeing how Old Testament worship points to Christ. Yeah, so I, I realized that probably one of the reasons you never have a Bible study about worship Mm-hmm. is we have this idea that, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly say anything about worship, but then we forget that the first five books of uh, the Old Testament are dedicated to how we worship God, and God explicitly saying, hey, this is how you're going to worship me, and these are the parts of the Bible that we all just fall asleep when we're reading. Yeah, because it has not only you know the creation of a tabernacle, but like, the artists, what they're going to sew on a curtain. Yeah. And then you have to get the resources in giving from the people. And then here's how the priest, there's a lot of parts to it, and God is very particular about it. And so in, in chapter one, there is kind of a shocking intro paragraph about self-chosen worship. And I think we have to start there. Mm-hmm. Because the question is, you know, is any kind of worship, to even the right God, even to our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can you worship him any way you want? And the answer is no. I know. And that is kind of shocking because we tend to approach it from our perspective of like, hey, if you're worshiping the right God, however you do it is fine. Yeah. And when you really get down to it, this is what distinguishes Christian worship from every other kind of worship in any other religion. Right. So every other situation, including it creeps its way into Israel in a very big and profound way, uh, deals with you bringing something good to get the attention, something that'll get the attention of a God to you so that you can manipulate this God to bless you with things, whether it's rain or um, uh, a meat. Like fertility. <laughs> fertility. Yeah, just anything to survive. To survive. And so this, long story short, is why in the Old Testament the high places are so wrong. Yeah, so again, it was just this idea that uh, every culture on the planet had a recognition of there is a higher power. What they could not believe, and what we still struggle to believe, is that uh, this higher power, or God, would even want to pay attention to us or meet with us. So every form of worship that was created outside of what God explicitly said was a form of manipulation, which is how do you get this God's attention and how do you manipulate them 
for favor. And so God, in a very loving act, reveals himself to his people and says, hey, this is how you're going to worship me specifically. You're going to do these things so that it doesn't become a giant guessing game and you're cutting yourselves or uh, doing all these weird, unspeakable acts to try to find this mysterious God. And because it's in the heart of every human to find God, Mm -hmm. to get some reason for what's going on and, and some order, they go out trying to find this God. And Mm -hmm. so our God lovingly says, no, I'm going to be here, to put it crudely, in a box. Yes. In a little tabernacle carried around in a temple. I will put my name. I will put my presence. I will give you my word. I'll explain everything out so that we can be together. And so there is wrong way to worship. And at the base, here is the, here's the thing you need to know that if you're going to worship to make God happy with you, this is uh, a worship of some kind of law. This is like you're manipulating God. You think that you have to bring something good, that he's waiting to see if you're good and then he'll give. That's not how he's acted. It's never what he's done. He initiates this whole thing. And so we're not going to make God happy. We're going because he says, this is where I'm at and I want to make you happy. I want to give you my presence and Mm -hmm. my name and my assurance that there's reason and order and purpose in this world and it's to love me and love your neighbor and I will provide for you. So you come to me. Yeah, so the first way this kind of uh, culminates in the Old Testament is with the uh, construction of the tabernacle. And he has a lot of specific ways that it should be created. And when you look at a diagram, I know you're listening to this, but if you look at the diagram of the tabernacle, there are all these walls and curtains and sections, and there's just uh, a lot of separation, uh, which tells us what about going into the presence of God. Well, first it says God's in a place and time. Mm Mm-hmm. He's making a way at, to great effort for people to come into his presence, especially at this point, the priest to come and represent the people in his presence. The problem is, as humans, we're so uh, sinful and dirty yeah. that we, it's, we will burn up in his presence. I mean, you can remember Moses meeting with him on the mountain. People are scared of the mountain. He comes yeah. down with his face shined. They're like, can you cover that up? It's too much. Even the reflection on your face is too much. Mm -hmm. And the only way I can think about it is when I change a light bulb out in the front of the car, I learned the hard way. I had grease all over my fingers and I just touched the light bulb. Yeah. Then when you turn the light on, it ruins the light. It's just like it blows up because the dirt on the outside of this great light is causing a combustion. And there's something like that with God. He knows it and they know it at this time. Like we can't go in. And so he sets up for their protection mm-hmm. and for his. He doesn't want to kill. He's not desiring that people die. He's desiring to be with them. So he sets up like this, the holy place, the most holy place, the outer court, and this whole process by which the priests can be cleansed, can uh, part, you know, interact with the table of presence and the, the lampstand and all these things before once a year a high priest goes into the holy place. And this is after Moses, of <clears throat> course. Yeah, and... Uh, I think we get caught up because uh, we think like, well, if God wants to meet with us, why is it such a, why is this such a big deal? Why are there so many safeguards? Mm-hmm. And w- one of the main reasons we get caught on this is because we think sin is an activity, right? That we do, uh, 
where we fail to realize that sin is a state of being. It's a condition. It's a condition. It is a disease. It is in you. You are filled with death. You are actively dying. Uh, and God kills death. So right. when death is in his presence, he kills it. And so he is creating a way that's going to uh, cover us with the death of something else for us to be then able to go forward and be present with right. him. Right, which is like one of the main purposes of the tabernacle is that uh, you're going to speak with God, that God is present in your midst, but there's protection, and with that is daily sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Something needs to die. And there's a bring a lamb, and the blood will cover you, get, offer you forgiveness so that God can receive your prayers for help. Um, and this is what the whole system is set up for, that there's payment for this death you carry, mm-hmm. but it's something will die for you. for you, and you'll be forgiven, and you get to eat it. Yeah, so think about that for a second. Is The whole sacrificial system, you need to think about it as a barbecue, <laughs> not just some uh, weird, bloody ritual that they were participating in. They were taking a lamb, a perfect lamb, to the priest. The priest would kill it, would cover the altar, and then the person offering it with the blood of the lamb, they would then enter in to the outer court and then they would, the priest would cook the lamb and then they would eat with the priest in front of God, the thing that was now covering them. So does this sound like... Well, we'll get there, yeah. Something we, we do. do. Yeah, it does. Where something is killed for us, we're covered in its blood, then we eat it with God. So we'll just cut to the chase there. Yes, it sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like when we come to God in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his son's death and his blood spilled on our behalf, we receive the forgiveness of sins and then are brought to the Lord's Supper where mm-hmm. we eat the sacrifice mm-hmm. that has been given to us. So we eat it in forgiveness and we're cleansed and we have table fellowship with this God, yeah. with our God. So at the tabernacle, the daily, the daily activities would be like priestly sacrifice, um, different offerings, the pouring out of the blood of the lamb on the altar for the cleansing of the people, priestly prayers, burning incense on the altar. That's to accompany the prayers. Mm-hmm. It's a sweet-smelling, uh, sweet-smelling prayers of the people and offering psalms of praise, thanksgiving, then eating at the banquet in the courts of the temple, priestly blessing of the people with the uh, with Aaron's benediction, something and all these things we still do. Um, and then later the Jews will add things like the Ten Commandments and creedal statements like the Shema, which is Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord is one. And so these are the things that are happening, and uh, and they're happening like three times a day. Yeah, offering this is an ongoing thing. And so then there's a day in the week where God calls then to remember. You're, you're remembering what God's doing three times a day. This is activity at the tabernacle. Um, but then God calls you to Sabbath. So stop working. Gather around the word. Don't just stop working because it's healthy. But the point is to stop engaging in all your work, trust the Lord, and gather around his word, who, the, around the one who actually works on your behalf mm-hmm. to provide all your needs and hear the word. I was also thinking about why is it three times a day? Because when we read that, you're like, that's kind of a lot. Yeah. Uh, but again, 
remember the sacrifices are barbecues. So it's three times a day. You have three meals a day and it's centered around breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You are taking a moment as you eat, looking toward the temple or a tabernacle, praying, thanking God for his gifts to you. Right. And don't forget, all this was set up because it's absolutely necessary but there's a hope of a Messiah. There's hope of an eternity. There's mm-hmm. hope of, there is the blood of a Messiah who would cover us. Um, as a result of this kind of cycle of weekly worship, you know, you couldn't make it during the week, you're working, but like you have Daniel and others praying three times a day. Yep. So you face towards wherever the uh, tabernacle or the temple is, and you know that there's offerings being made up at certain times. And so by praying, you're going, I'm with this offering, Lord, I agree. Amen. Yeah. And uh, you're receiving the benefits, even though you're a little bit far away at the time. But the Sabbath is where you stop, and now you make it to where God is, and you receive his good gifts. Then he sets up a yearly calendar. Yeah, the Old Testament liturgical calendar. This is where God says, hey, uh, you're a new nation, you're a new people. I'm now going to not only anchor your weeks, but your year. Yeah. I'm going to create a yearly festivals for you to be anchored to my good gifts. Right. To the things that I've done in the past, the present, and will do for you in the future. Right. So the past would be Passover. You come and remember what took place as they as God led them out of Egypt. Um, and with that, it's like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, remembering how God did it. You're just remembering all the past events. Then there's the Feast of... Weeks or Pentecost, right. which uh, is, is it 50, 50 weeks? Yeah, it's 50 days. 50 days? Okay, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's 50 days. It's a 7-7. It's the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Or right. it's a... Yeah, because it's like seven weeks. Yeah, Sabbath of Sabbaths. You're right. Yeah. So this is where they offer up the first fruits of the grain harvest, and they recognize that God is providing for us here and now in this land, that everything that we've harvested, the food that we have, is God is a evidence of God's ongoing provision for his people. Right, So, which is cool because the Holy Spirit comes at, at uh, Pentecost, Pentecost, evidence that it's, it's a present reality right now. Mm-hmm. Then there's an, uh, a third set of festivals. The seventh month contained a series of high festivals. This was the Sabbath of months. So Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Booths. Yeah, so I was thinking about these. These, This is like uh, your summer camp experience. Um, So you have the the Feast of Trumpets where they're blowing trumpets, they're singing songs. You have all your camp songs reminding or looking forward to the future rest that you're going to have with God. They have the Feast of Booths where you're basically, it's family camp. You're uh, camping out Fun. and reminding, again, Be- reminding yourselves of like the great provision, provision God has saved you out of sin and death and the devil and provided for you in the wilderness, but will lead you into a future rest yeah. in a promised land. And then there's the Day of Atonement, which is the National Day of Forgiveness, right? where forgiveness is announced for the sins of the nation. Boy, that would be good, wouldn't it? That would, yeah. I was just thinking about, like, how that is so cool. But we are participating in that as Christians every Sunday. We are are announcing the forgiveness of uh, Christ over all of his people. Right. Uh, So that gets us to how did we get to 
church the way we do it today. Why don't we still do all the uh, tabernacle and temple? Sac- yeah, sacrifices. And sacrifices. Stuff. Like, what, what happened? Like, what did Jesus do to make all the tabernacle stuff obsolete? Mm, yeah, the dividing wall of hostility. Right, so where, where's a good place to go for that? So in Hebrews chapter 9, specifically, I mean, the whole chapter 9 deals with it, but specifically verses uh, 1 through 14. The first several are kind of difficult, but... Um, but yeah, so the first several, uh, the writer of Hebrews is breaking down all the order and uh, construction of the tabernacle and what every part of it did. And... and uh, in verse 6, he says, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the, for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there it is. So in reality, we think oh, Old Testament worship was made obsolete, but really it was just the, f- the ceremony was made obsolete mm-hmm. because Christ, the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice goes into the true Holy of Holies and offers his own blood for you. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about um, in the construction of the temple, the veil that separated... Mm-hmm. Uh, the holy place from the most holy place. Right. Uh, what was woven in on that veil? I believe cherubim mm-hmm. and seraphim with flaming swords. Yeah, with uh, palm trees and potentially pomegranates on the posts. Uh, uh, yeah. So you have the cherubim uh, and this garden theme, which reminds us back to the, Eden, the Garden of Eden, where when Adam and Eve lost table fellowship with God lost mm-hmm. fellowship with God and were removed from the garden, that God set a cherubim with a flaming sword at the entrance to keep them out. Right. And so when Christ died, that veil with the cherubim and the garden was torn from the top all the way down to the bottom, meaning Christ has now removed the veil, has walked past the cherubim right. with the flaming sword for us, and has entered back into table fellowship with the Father. It's pretty amazing. You know, and you figure, why did God put the cherubim, the flaming sword in front of the garden? Because he cares for his, uh, his creatures, his image bearers. Mm-hmm. They have death now. If they come back into his presence, they die. So he guards it. And now Christ, who can withstand 
the full glory of God, withstand death and overcome it, walks through and opens the curtain for us, which leads us then to the development of uh, how God calls us today to gather Mm -hmm. around him. Mm -hmm. So early on, uh, if you can remember from the giant story of the Bible, (laughs) Israel lost the temple. There was a time in their history, they lost, they, God left it, the place that he went to great effort to put his name and his presence, create a people. Um, He left because of their sin, they were unrepentant. And so he, uh, this is known as the Babylonian exile. They're, it's gone. Mm. And so what results from that is the development of a synagogue. So if you could get about 10 Jewish men together, you would gather, and it's more of a place of prayer, reading the Bible, or reading the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, and, uh, and talking about it, and offering prayers, and doing those types of things. That's what they had to do. But they had, were under no thought that, oh, the presence of God is here the same way it is in the temple. No. They were saying, we're just keeping this alive. We're just keeping the story alive. And they could do this because they had been uh, so enculturated with the uh, liturgical practices mm-hmm. of temple worship that even apart from the temple, they had memorized the Psalms, they had memorized the songs, they had memorized the prayers, the right. creeds, and they then were able to carry them on in the midst of persecution away from their origin point. Which says something about uh, the more liturgical practices we use. Mm-hmm. When times get tough and you're away or you, you, you don't know what's going on, the words that have been said in repetition, the way we've approached God is in you. It's in it's you. On. And you can carry it out. Because like, in times of peace and prosperity, liturgical practice will seem uh, boring, dull, and... Uh, unnecessary. Unnecessary, yeah. yes. But in times of persecution, those boring, dull, unnecessary things become very necessary. And you realize they have been great gifts to you to carry on the faith yeah. and the story of our God. So Jesus respects these little synagogues. He goes to them. You know, mm-hmm. He's often eating at a Seder meal and celebrating Passover, or Passover, of course, but I meant Sabbath with people. Yes. But he's going into the, the synagogue and gives one of his first sermons. And um, as a result of this structure, many of the first Christians were Jewish. And so the Christian church, as we know it, looks a lot like a synagogue. Mm -hmm. But there's a big difference, right? Right. So Christ sets up now uh, baptism, the preaching of the word, the Lord's Supper. That can be done in little synagogues, essentially, places that spring up all over the world. There is no central temple where he says, I'm going to be. He says, now I'm going to be in my word, in my sacraments. I am, and where, where you're gathered around the word, and there's a priest, um, someone appointed and ordained to preach the true word of God and to administer. These are the means by which God will be with us. And so then the little synagogue, once it's, uh, they become Christians, it's that model that we get our church now where we gather all over the world in small groups around, around the preaching of the word. And the administering of the sacraments. Right. And I think the big difference between a Jewish synagogue and a Christian synagogue is in the Christian synagogue, you are explicitly declaring the presence of God is with you. Right. Uh, where in the Jewish synagogue, they would never do that. Right. That would you be, can't. You can't. I mean, God would kill you if he was really there. And so because of the work of Christ, because we have his blood over us, in our baptisms, we can confidently enter into our Christian places of worship 
announce that God's with us and approach him boldly without fear of death. It's beautiful. And then we go back to the daily practices of sacrifice and eating, and we see that all those things are carried out in our churches mm-hmm. uh, where God's gifts are being delivered, you know, right worship of God yeah. and faith. And so we engage then weekly where we are every, every Sunday, we engage in all the rituals of uh, shed blood, forgiveness of sins, table fellowship, eating the sacrifice mm-hmm. with the God the Father in peace and with the hope of an even greater meal to come in a greater recreated world. Yeah. So we love all that. Um, And you can see, you can see how it develops too. So we have things like singing or or reading the Psalms together. Um, Saying creeds. Saying creeds, confession, absolution, Mm -hmm. um, preaching of the word. And again, there is a proper way to preach the word. Uh, It, just talking about the Bible, like we're doing now, it's like a Bible study. It's nice. Yeah. But the difference with preaching is that you're giving, you, you must give God's law first. So like say what the thing is and then bring the gospel. So the wrong way would be Christ died for you. He did everything for you. Now you need to go out there and do everything for him. Everything you do, you should do for God. Amen. That's gospel law. And that's just giving you more stuff to do. That hasn't given you the gift of of God. That's not gift. That's a to-do list. A to-do list. Whereas the proper preaching is, hey, you could probably do more in acts of love for your neighbor and for me. And you could probably do more around this place, Matt. But praise be to God. He sent his only son to die for us and for you. And he forgives you. And he does all that we need. And may we trust in him as we go forward. You see, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. That's proper preaching. Yeah. So Um, now not only... Is the law confronting me of my sin, my need for Jesus, but then it's applying Jesus to me, right. saying he's forgiven me for the ways I've failed, and then will give me his spirit to actually go out and do the work of loving God and my neighbor. It's cool. not something that I have to do on my own. So I think the big idea, if after all this talking, is that God calls us to him. We're not calling out however we want to try and find him, to try to get his favor, to try to get his approval. Now, he's made it plain. He's come as a person in time and space. Mm. There was a date he died, a date he rose, like he's real, and his word still is here. He promises to be with us forever, and he is with us through the gathering of the saints around word and sacrament. Amen. So he's called us. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, this has been Lutheranism 101 Worship. Chapter 1. We'll talk to you next time.